And we are recording with the one, the only, Dr. Robert Malone on Monday, December 5th, 2022 at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Time. His first episode in my my new studio, my Miami back VIP Coke room that has become the studio. And I thought, as I've told you, I've told multiple people questioning about the lighting configuration. I thought they changed colors, but that's what you get when you use the lowest bidder, which is China. And instead you just have a neon blue room. Might as well lean into it. And that's just what it is. I don't want to hear anybody's criticism. I don't care. It's a blue room now, but you, uh, <clears throat> you sent me an article you wrote on your Substack, and I'll put it in the description. Um, as well as your book, Lies My Government Told Me, which uh, I discussed, uh, what, one, two weeks ago with uh, with uh, with Tony. It's a fantastic book, and I think we can get into it in a, in a little bit. It will actually tie into this conversation, but the article you wrote, Sins of uh, Information Warfare, which is, again, ties into, I think, the basis to push back against any and all accusations of you being deep state or controlled opposition, because let's look at Eisenhower, military industrial complex. He didn't gain anything from that speech. There's no book tour. And he wasn't even leverage, uh, leveraging accusations at any individual company, right? Northrop Grumman or so. It was just a statement about the concentration of wealth and industrial might could be bad. There's nothing to be gained from that. If somebody sets out and tells you to listen to your inner voice, do unto others, you know, work hard and, you know, sacrifice and hard work yields rewards. There's no cashing in moment on that. That is a, those are truisms that benefit you, the individual. And your article goes along those same lines about we can't give in to the temptations of, well, the other side's doing it, so we have to do it. We're sitting on the sidelines and they're fighting a war. No, they're, and it's not just some high-minded ivory tower statement. You really can't become the thing you're fighting because then there's no point in fighting it. Just join the winning side, right? So there is importance in planting your feet and not doing, even in the bloodthirsty battle of the Pacific or battles of the Pacific, we still took Japanese POWs. We didn't cut off their genitals. We didn't light them on fire. And that may seem irking if you're in the fight on Iwo Jima. You might say, why don't we do it against them? There is value in pursuing a fight and doing it morally and backing up facts and saying, no, that's not right. And saying, no, we can't militantly go do this and well, we're, con we're in charge of Twitter now. We should censor them. No, no, not at all. And that's kind of what your article fleshed out was we can't use false accusations. We can't use drama. We can't issue a lie and then quietly do a retraction. It is important to stay true to yourself because then there's no point in fighting if you become the evil that you're fighting. And if that's the case, the evil just transferred to you. It's just like momentum or it's heat. It never actually went anywhere. It just transferred to you like a demon jumping bodies. But as always, I have now ranted for five minutes without letting you get in a word. So, Dr. Milan, how are you doing? Well, thanks for the summary. Of course. Um, I think this, this topic is um, super important. Um, 
there's, as you know, there's strategy and there's tactics. And uh, tactics are more short-term uh, battlefield. Um, uh, it's it's uh, really easy in the moment uh, to get wrapped up in um, in this punch counterpunch. He said, she said. Uh, um, and uh, often there's a deep tribalism associated with it. Um, uh, um, hooray for our side, and uh, and um, and it it's okay to do as you said. The the logic that some of my colleagues advocate is that um, uh, they're doing it to us, and therefore it's okay for us to do it to them. They are uh, um, uh, using hyperbole and uh, weaponizing um, falsehoods, uh, engaging in slander, defamation. This is, after all, unrestricted information warfare, and there is no ethics, and there's no rules of engagement. Uh, this is fifth-generation warfare, and it's a battle for minds and souls, and uh, so... Uh, we should deploy whatever's necessary in order to win, in order to make our point. And if that requires uh, a uh, um, some hyperbole, if if that requires that we make uh, wild accusations against our opponents, and uh, and clearly state that they are are using these. Uh, vaccine products to support a depopulation agenda or uh, then then it's okay uh, for for it's okay for us to say these things even though we can't substantiate it uh, because uh, the only way to break through the wall of uh, um, uh, information warfare that is confronting us uh, on the on the part of our opponents highly funded uh, coming from uh, the U.S. government is, for instance, now going to spend $475 million trying to convince all of us to take the uh, booster, just as one example. And they spent over a billion dollars with the CDC for all those uh, glitzy productions of, you know, kind of Broadway musical type stuff, et cetera, and, and buying uh, influencers on TikTok, et cetera, uh, and, and celebrities from Hollywood to uh, advance uh, the logic that everybody should accept these unlicensed medical products. So they're doing it to us, and we need to do it to them. Uh, and it's okay because uh, they've already established that these are um, uh, within the realm of acceptable uh, battlefield uh, tactics uh, in this particular information war that we're in. And thank you for your succinct summary that... Uh, uh, in it's my opinion that, uh, well, let me put it this way. Um, the Malone doctrine is all about integrity. Uh, I didn't write it. Uh, Ed Dowd and, and his colleagues on Maui wrote it. Uh, but, but I believe it. I, I believe in the logic of, uh, um, doing your best to act with integrity and maintain integrity. Uh, and 
um, to, if, if you're going to make a statement about somebody or something, uh, you have an obligation to show the data, the information, the documents, whatever, the receipts that back up that position. And if you don't have those receipts, then uh, don't say it. Uh, <clears throat> I've said many, many times through this, when people ask me, well, what is Tony Fauci really thinking? What's really going on in Klaus Schwab's head? You know, what? why does Harari say what he says or um, Tedros or whatever? And, and repeatedly, I've had to say, I'm sorry, I'm trained as a, uh, as a, a specialist for um, expert witness purposes uh, by some high-end lawyers. And the first thing they taught me was, do not speculate about somebody's motives because you can't know it. You know, none of us can read minds, I'm sorry. Uh, and so I can't know what's really going on in Klaus Schwab's head or Bill Gates' head or Tony Fauci's head or whatever. I can I can observe their behaviors. I can read uh, their writings. I can listen to uh, their statements. And I can say they've done these things. They've said these things. They've written these things. Uh, and, um, and therefore, we can infer that those are things that they believe, but is that really what's driving this set of behaviors? Is that really what's behind the deployment of the mRNA vaccine? Is some intended strategy to depopulate the world and stop uh, reproductive health in in Westerners uh, all over all over the world? It's hard um, for me to imagine that they would be that twisted that they would do so. It's possible. Um, there are psychopaths, uh, but to come out and say flatly, this is what's going on in the absence of clear and compelling evidence, I think is irresponsible. Likewise, to use, and I in that essay, uh, thank you for wherein I had cross-posted back when I was on Twitter a uh, video montage of people dying suddenly. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, I know who put it together. I was just on a boat with them. I'll just leave that there. Um, uh, but one of the clips in that uh, was apparently a young man dying on the field. Uh, great tragedy. And, uh, and it was used as an example of someone dying suddenly after vaccination, a young male. Uh, and I, I just cross-posted it. I had nothing to do with building the video or whatever. And out of the blue, I get a legal letter from the family, uh, uh, parents of this young man, um, accusing me of weaponizing his death for political purposes uh, and explaining that um, this death occurred before the vaccine deployment. He had not accepted the vaccine. It had nothing to do with the vaccines. And I needed to cease and desist or they would sue me. Uh, and I was horrified, horrified that somehow inadvertently I had caused pain for this family and these parents. Uh, unknowingly, inadvertently, I didn't put it together. I didn't personally fact check it, but I did cross post it. And so I, I wrote an apology. I immediately deleted the tweet, uh, et cetera. Um, but when people take information, they take liberties with information, 
uh, such as uh, the same person responsible for this video that we're speaking about died suddenly, uh, um, uh, has previously posted a image uh, that was uh, from an oncology children's oncology ward uh, of a of a young person, uh, and um, that had that young person's illness had absolutely nothing to do with the vaccine, but it was being asserted that that was the case. I just don't think that's okay, and I think it it is important to say no. That's not okay. That's not who we are. Um, I I think personally. Uh, we have to hold ourselves to higher standards. And, and I take a, a certain amount of, of uh, pleasure um, in this book uh, being listed as number one in, uh, in physician-patient bioethics. Um, uh, I, I, of all the things uh, having to do with this book, the thing that gives me the greatest pleasure is to be able to say, I have a bioethics bestseller. That's really cool. Um, uh, I think uh, personally, as as you know, in terms of where I'm at and where I'm coming from, to to be able to say, yeah, I took a a position, a principled position. I said, no, this is not right. This is not ethical. Uh, and once once you stake that out, um, then the burden becomes double that you have to act ethically. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I. You know, and then there's the whole uh, Malone doctrine and integrity and all that. Uh, so I try to live my life that way. And and I suggest that if we want to be better than uh, our opponents uh, that that believe that morality and ethics are fungible, that are they're plastic, they can be um, used and manipulated and um, they're they're situational. Uh, if if we don't want to, if we are criticizing our opponents for these behaviors, I think it's doubly on us to make sure that we don't uh, transgress in a similar way. So that's in in uh, when I I was one of the first to come out and say in that Substack, but there were a couple others preceding me that the day before I had cross posted and the trolls just attacked me like a swarm. Uh, um, even on Getter, which normally is relatively troll-free, uh, at least in my followers. But um, uh, uh, I was certainly one of the first that really said, no, this is not okay. And, um, and it attracted a lot of hate um, and still is. Uh, and, and a lot of that is wrapped around the idea, well, um, at least it got a lot of people's attention. Uh, and so it was justified to use hyperbole and these various, uh, um, let's say, uh, artistic license in in presenting uh, what was presented. Uh, and since that time, it's now been a week or so, we have more and more people coming out saying, no, this isn't right. This isn't who we are. This is not okay. Um, and uh, also noting that in doing this, in in breaching our own moral standards, we've given license to uh, our opponents to point out our hypocrisy 
mm-hmm. and uh, and so these things are uh, weaponized, and and we all get painted with the same brush. Uh, they don't. Our opponents don't discriminate between uh, the nuance of well, this person uh, said no, this isn't good. They they paint all of us with that same brush, and. This has long been known. We've seen multiple examples of this, which gives rise to the thesis or the suspicion that, uh, you know, I think it, it raises the question, could this have been intentional? Uh, and it's always a possibility. We're now in a landscape in which uh, um, everything is possible. We, we probably do have infiltrators. We probably do have disruptors. We probably do have people that are our opponents operating in a fifth generational warfare landscape that are using um we could call them dark arts or or whatever or or we could there's stronger language that comes out of the nixon era having to do with rats and intercourse well, uh, but uh there, but there's also to interrupt from that same era there's also declassified fbi terminology and it's called cointel pro this isn't new at all. Divide and conquer. Seed yep. distrust and doubt amongst the enemy ranks. And my understanding from people that are experts in the CCP, this is also a common strategy there. Yes. So, uh, um, all I I think that personally, I took a stand and I said, no, this is not okay. Even though there's some good here. Uh, in that it's alerting people about these blood clots that have been known quite a while. And Ryan Cole, I think, gets a gold star for being one of the first to talk about it. But um, uh, I'm not okay uh, with uh, using images and clips that uh, fit the narrative but are not uh, accurately um, what what they claim to be. Uh, I, I... as I mentioned in the essay, uh, I know from personal experience because I was one of the interviewees in the uh, um, Jeff Hayes movie on the real Anthony Fauci that um, I had said some things during the interview. One, I don't even remember what it was in particular, uh, in that was in one of the clips they wanted to use. And I couldn't back it up with a specific citation. And so it hit the cutting room floor. People went over that film with a fine-tooth comb, just like they did with Bobby's book on the real Anthony Fauci. And stuff that could not be documented and cited uh, were, was left behind. And, and I, I think that, personally, I believe that is the standard we need to aspire to. And that it's not okay to say, well, we put this together on the fly for only $15,000. And so we got a few things wrong, but, you know, uh, mostly it's right. And, you know, it's serving the, I don't think that's okay. Uh, and, and um, uh, I think we, we do need to take personal responsibility for the content we put out. There's, um, sorry. That's okay. There's, um, <clears throat> There's there's nothing wrong with you, you you can't expect to be infallible and perfect. Mm. Like of course, of course right. you're gonna retweet something. There's something I'm sure there are I've done it this is episode a thousand and fourteen. I'm sure more often than not, I I personally have stated things that are not factual. That's fine. You get older, 
you you figure it out do you act on it then when you find out you've done something wrong and by justifying that the other side is doing it you really have to like flow chart it out and go why are we fighting the the nazis and not not present day people i disagree with i mean the actual third reich why am i fighting the imperial japanese well, they're you know using slave labor. They're they're massacring. They're they're carrying out a holocaust and they're invading sovereign nations. Okay. If we then do anything we can to beat them, including mirroring them, not only are we becoming the thing we hate, they are going to double down and increase the thing that we are trying to stop. So by spreading lies and manipulating data. We are giving the very enemy that we have by our actions shown, not just by what we practice, but or by what we preach, but by what we practice. Hey, we're willing to put out misinformation to stop the 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 left who want a a, a Marxist America. They are then going to use those actions that we do against us. You will never aid the enemy that you truly think is evil. And not only that, they are going to go further because now we have leveled the playing field. Yeah. The reason why they originally lied and used misinformation and used gaslighting is because they were willing to use any weapon against us, including the ones we weren't willing to use. So by leveling the playing field, they are now, by their very nature, going to go for something even further, whatever that is, physical violence, burning things down, assassinations, because their entire warfare is based on asymmetry. So we are pushing them towards that. We are, pu it's the, like the Streisand effect. By mirroring it, you are pushing the very thing you claim to fight. Now, if deep down inside, you're just a power hungry psychopath and you're using the resistance and censorship and we're for America, like a psychopath would do, you would choose your side and you would emulate those facets. That's fine. You're, you're a demon, but I, but you know, I'd almost respect the game. I'd be like, "Oh, you're you you want to take control, so you can put your enemies in the camps." Like, okay, you're a demon, but you know, I respect the game, I guess, in a in a objective fact, in an objective sense. But if you actually want things to be better, you won't you won't do that. There was there was an article in Popular Science or Popular Mechanics years and years ago. It was an interview with the Secretary of the Air Force talking about the next generation fighter after the F-22 Raptor. That was like 15 years ago, and we're still not at the new one. They just released the B-21 Raider two days ago. And they're going on about how the future of weapons, they'll probably be highly autonomous, if not, if not totally autonomous. And they probably won't use physical air-to-air -air weaponry like a Sidewinder missile. It'll be more particle beams, lasers, directed energy, a lot of SDI stuff. And then he went one step further to go, and it might not even be that they are aircraft. It's one thing to say we won't have fighter pilots. That removes the whole fighter jock mentality. Just like Curtis LeMay, Secretary of the Air Force under Kennedy, he led a bunch of bombing raids in World War II. He hated ICBMs because they weren't gleaming platinum chrome bombers with guys in bomber hats with women on the side. It was very ego-based. Curtis LeMay made a pivot, and he realized that the end goal was to destroy the Soviet Union, and so he went, we'll do missiles. The Secretary of the Air Force said in this article, not only will we not have fighter jock pilots, Top Gun, there might be a day where sixth generation might not have pilots. Seventh, seventh generation might not even be aircraft. The Air Force 
might become a relic. It might be a new just form of, you know, EMP radio waves that shut things down. The idea of it being an airborne craft could be a relic of the past, just like the Calvary now is, I think, Apache helicopters, the old Calvary was horses, right? So, but the point of me saying that is, is, and it's an odd thing to use defense contractors and killing machines is this point, but is when you have your end goal, if you are truly there for the end goal, which Curtis LeMay was, was to go beat the enemy, you will drop your ego, you will drop any conceptions you have about what it should look like and you will pursue it relentlessly if you have an idea of it i have to be in charge the ironically enough the flag behind the flag will be behind me well no now you're the psychopath just using the republicans the resistance the anti-woke crowd as your method to get to control if you truly care you won't mind that there is no tom cruise you won't mind that there's not even aircraft turning and burning and breaking the sound barrier if your end goal is truly a safe american airspace so if your goal truly is facts bioethics the truth a a what's everyone tout a a, a better world for our children if those are things you truly believe in you won't care if you don't get a book deal you won't care if you upset your side because we need to implement the same weapons they're using. If, if I'll use a much simpler example than that entire tirade I just went on. When you type in an address to a distant place in another city, you're not married to which highway you take or which back road you take. It just takes you on the quickest way. And if you're cheap, you can even opt the one without tolls. You're not married to which exit you get off on. You don't look at an exit ramp and go, Oh, for, for God's sake. No, you just, Go along listening to a podcast, hopefully this one, if you have a heart. But you don't care because it just gets you to the destination because your intention is to get to the destination, not which road you're on, not which skyline you see. That's what it is. Now, if you're married to an idea of a highway or a road, you're impartial and your ego's in the way. If you really just want to get to the place, you'll get to the place. And if you want a world with less violations of bioethics, with less censorship, with less hatred, you'll go along that route, even if it means you don't make money hand over fist, even if it means people accuse you of being deep state or co-intel pro, you won't care. So the very way in which you act reveals your hand, which is kind of a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And, and like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't make it better that you get death threats or that people hate you or they unsubscribe from your podcast, right? But it's very easy. You just follow the route that you should go on. Maybe it means no bombers and instead it's going to be ICBMs. Whatever. If the goal is to kill the Soviets, you'll find a way. And I I know that's, again, kind of a weird analogy to use because it's supposed to be all bright and flowery. I'm talking about weapons, but I think you get the point. You're a smart guy. So to your point, um, uh, I did have people unsubscribe. Uh um uh with with all these attacks uh and defamation it truly is defamation um uh, uh my attorney tells me that there's been some recent cases that have established that uh accusing somebody of being deep state is now considered defamatory um uh using apparently the words uh 
myths and disinformation are uh, um, akin to asserting that someone is a fraud. And that is defamation. Uh, so the courts are catching up with this language uh, that's been distorted and weaponized. And folks, uh, there, there, is, there are those who are asserting that freedom of speech is unrestricted, um, that they have the right to say whatever they want to say. Um, uh, and they don't seem to be, uh, let's say, they, they don't seem to have been tutored in um, the legal interpretations of the First Amendment, which is not full unrestricted right to say whatever you want. And, and the, of course, the uh, um, common example of that is you don't have the right to yell fire in a, in a crowded theater. Uh, you don't have the right to defame somebody. Uh, those, those are not uh, guaranteed by the First Amendment. The First Amendment has to do with the government restricting your ability to speak. Uh, um, but unfortunately, as some people get so wrapped up around things, they're just going to have to uh, have the courts instruct them as to what the meaning of the First Amendment is. And uh, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do that for them. But um, uh, this uh, environment we're in right now, where we've been subjected uh, to so much uh, fear and weaponized information, I think has given rise to a culture that, uh, a cultural moment where um, nobody is really sure what's true. Uh, and um, we're all second guessing ourselves. Uh, so um, giving benefit of the doubt, which may or may not um, be justified, uh, I can understand uh, why people would be erring on the side of suspicion after, after all we've experienced. And maybe I'm being overly empathetic uh, and, and uh, giving uh, those in that space uh, too much credit. But, but I, I think that uh, this, this is another symptom of the breakdown of social norms and society in general that is a, a logical consequence of what we've all experienced. Uh, that um, this uh, business model of stoking rage and fear has become uh, so widespread and so pervasive. It's it's uh, you know when when you have this this is this gets to the bully pulpit. I really think it's important, personally. I, I mean, I sin I sincerely believe that the behaviors of those which are anointed as our leaders is important in that it sets normative behavior for the entire culture. And uh, if, if we have a leader who revels in being a bully, then uh, we will see a lot more bullying all the way down to schoolyards. Um, if we have a leader that, uh, um, or leaders that uh, uh, believe that 
uh, it's appropriate to exploit their office for personal gain, then um, that serves as a signal to the entire culture that that's uh, acceptable behavior. When we have people who, uh, you know, the masters of the universe on Wall Street that uh, um, believe in this mantra, he who dies with the most toys wins, who, who you know, he who has the fanciest jet or whatever, um, this uh, um, worshiping, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from uh, um, many of my uh, devoutly Christian friends, worshiping mammon uh, gives rise to, to distortions uh, and, and it becomes the norm. Well, we all uh, start to define ourselves by how much money we have, how many goods we control, what our assets are. And I personally believe that's something that uh, is contributing to the illness that we're all suffering from right now, uh, that, that we believe that, um, that uh, our, our value can be uh, um, measured in our assets and our bank account. Uh, as opposed to what we contribute to each other and the way we live our lives um, and, and the things that give us joy and the way that we give joy to others. Uh, I think that's, that's where um, uh, the value of living um, uh, comes from, the joy of living. Uh, so I, this, this uh, um, rise of these very divisive uh, behaviors um, where we're accusing each other of, of uh, heinous crimes openly, uh, routinely, uh, like being a mass murderer. Um, I think that's symptomatic of a, a broader degradation of, of society and social norms that uh, if we allow that to become acceptable, uh, we are all diminished. Uh, and um, the converse, if, if we wish, as you point out, if we wish to live and have our children grow up in a world uh, that is more equitable, um, more supportive and healthy psychologically, uh, we have to live it now. And uh, it's, it's really, really tough I, I was on an earlier podcast today talking about this with another um, gentleman. Uh, it's really, really tough uh, to be a true leader as opposed to the it's kind of leader-follower uh, model that many of our politicians um, espouse. If, if you're really a sovereign person um, uh, living independently, making your own decisions, you are intrinsically a warrior and a leader. You can't be otherwise. Uh, and um, as you point out, you'll make mistakes, but uh, if you act with courage and integrity uh, and follow that little voice, that heart voice, uh, that some might call the soul, uh, um, you'll, you'll be true to yourself. And it seems that that's the best way to avoid getting caught up in the daily uh, 
um, conflict and drama. Uh, it's so easy to get uh, seduced by um, the tribalism and uh, hooray for our side stuff. And uh, um, so in this case, I just to loop back, um, I came out with that substack. I said this wasn't right. I've been attacked, attacked, attacked. And now more and more people are saying, no, this wasn't right. You were right. Or, or they're not even saying you were right. They're just saying they're coming to their own conclusions. Uh, as, as has happened all the way through this, through the last three years, um, not to pat myself on the back, but again and again, I've said, this, this is truth. This is the way forward. This is what's right. And uh, been defamed, slandered, gaslit, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, uh, you know, two weeks later, four weeks later, two months later, um, those opinions uh, start to become the norm, the accepted uh, consensus. Uh, and uh, I, I take great pleasure in having injected some of those things into the discourse. And I have no problem if somebody else takes ownership of them and carries them forward and waves the flag. Uh, the goal is to get it done. Uh, and um, so in some uh, these these individuals that have a business model of of stoking outrage, uh, I think I think we have to be very wary of them. Uh, I think I think they lead us towards a direction that um, uh, is intrinsically corrupting. That's strong words, uh, but. Um, uh, uh, will will be used against us, uh, which gives rise to the thesis: if they're doing these things in ways that are really quite um, uh, florid, uh, um, are they are they truly unaware of what they're doing, or are they doing that for some? Uh, intended purpose, and if so, what is that purpose? And it could be as simple as, uh, well, it generates clicks, and clicks convert to money, and I want money. Um, or it could be something more nefarious. There's no way for me to know, or for you to know, um, you know, and, unless these people uh, suddenly decide to um, come clean or make some statement. Uh, but but there's no way to know. Uh, there's no way to know if they are controlled opposition or if they're just opportunists. Uh, just like there's no way to know whether uh, um, the likes of Anthony Fauci or Tedros um, are pursuing a nefarious agenda or are they just incompetent. You can't distinguish it or some blend of the above. Uh, there's just no way. So I, So thanks for letting me rant a little bit. Uh, um, I, I think this is really important because it gets to what our soul is. Uh, and, um, and I think it's really hard. It's really easy, uh, another biblical reference, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Uh, and so we all have some sin. We all have information warfare sins. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Um, I, I sinned in, in this sense 
in uh, cross-posting that video clip. But having done so, when I encountered that this was wrong, this was a sin uh, in, in that, that information warfare uh, context, I did my best to rectify it. And, and I think that's that, as you point out, if, if we all make mistakes, uh, we have all undoubtedly said some things that we regret or that in retrospect we thought were true, but it turns out they weren't. Um, and the question then is, what do you do about it? Uh, do you own it? And, and I think that in producing um, content, because really now we're talking about media in the context of fifth generation warfare, in which in, which in fifth generation warfare, kinetics almost become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about um, uh, um, shaping thought and consensus and uh, shaping uh, belief systems for large populations uh, because it's really beliefs that drive uh, warfare and win-loss. Uh, and so, as you know, in fifth gen, um, it's, it's, it's this subtle dark or, or hidden um, uh, art of warfare um, to control minds and beliefs if you're practicing that. Uh, and, and it's really hard to know, uh, uh, you know, that that's the goal of fifth gen warfare is you don't really even know um, who the opponents are. They're, they're hidden. Um, they're behind the scenes. Uh, and so we all have this sense of uh, being manipulated. Uh, that, that's kind of a hallmark. Uh, this, uh, I have a friend who says that you can always tell um, uh, the sensitive topics uh, in an in intelligence uh, information warfare environment because when you get close to them, it's as if they have the, a electric fence around those topics. And when you get close to the topic, you get a shock. And so you can know whether those sensitive topics by the behavior, by yeah. whether or not you get a shock when you get close to them. Um, uh, and uh, so we have to kind of use that in, in a fifth generation warfare environment we have to kind of triangulate truth. We have to infer uh, truth and meaning in this very complicated landscape uh, through these indirect means. Um, and, and it gives rise to a, an environment where you're always seeing stuff in the shadows. You can't trust each other. You can't trust anything. You don't know what is true. It is insidiously corrosive. Uh, to humanity and to culture but it's it's uh it's the battlefield they've created for us uh, and and i you know the um and i'm not sh- uh i i'll all i know is that in in this information warfare landscape the only lodestone the only uh north star is is what's in your heart and soul uh and and you if you are um if you're a warrior committed to truth uh um if that's how you see the world and yourself um 
if you're on that hero's journey uh, and, and behaving as a warrior, uh, I think that that's the only thing that you can do is be true uh, to yourself and keep in mind uh, that, that other key biblical aphorism, uh, you know, what does it benefit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? And as I said in that essay, or one of the others associated, what does it benefit a nation to gain the world and lose its soul? And, and I think that is the real fight that we have right now, is one in which you're, you're speaking of Curtis uh, LeMay uh, and our opponent in the Soviet Union. Um, I, I think a case can be made that we are so far from integrity uh, in uh, the governance of our nation state uh, that we have lost our soul. Um, that our, our desire to gain the world has distorted us to such an extent that um, we're no longer true to those core beliefs and ethics uh, that we set out to become and to defend. And that, to me, is the most deeply troubling. Uh, and I, I use the example in illustrating this uh, in one of the substacks. You know, there, uh, the Nord Stream uh, 1 and 2 is widely acknowledged but never spoken of as um, not uh, highly improbable that it was the consequence of German or Russian uh, activities, uh, but no one will say it. Everyone is afraid of the United States right now. Uh, and uh, I guess fear is, is one place you can go. You can rule the world through fear, but it doesn't last. Um, uh, and um, it's, it's very tenuous. And, and I, I sense that we've, uh, we've allowed ourselves uh, to justify our actions on the basis of um, uh, this kind of uh, um, belief that um, anything is acceptable in the service of uh, advancing the economic interests of, of of the powerful within the United States. And, and um, I, I think that uh, we have really damaged uh, ourselves and somehow we've got to find our way back to the garden. Um, and, and I personally believe that a, a nationalist in the good sense, a nationalist US um, committed to limited federal government and committed to those original principles of uh, a strong defense, truly a defense, um, uh, but not being expansionist, uh, just focusing on uh, the um, citizens uh, and the boundaries of uh, the United States. Uh, and, you know, is that isolationist or is that pragmatic? Uh, but but the logic that it's acceptable to overthrow governments, um, uh, employ assassination techniques, 
uh, deploy um, uh, propaganda and information uh, warfare against our opponents, to deploy the logic that we must uh, uh, manipulate human genetics and uh, um, use uh, transhumanist technology and advance that. The, the logic that we must do that because the Chinese are doing it um, is akin to the same argument that um, our opponents are using these uh, things and therefore we must also, lest we be left behind or be put at a disadvantage. That's explicitly what's being said. Mm -hmm. And it's the same argument. I reject that. We, we do not become better by assimilating the ethics of our opponents over there's beautiful <clears throat> there's there is something fascinating about it's like how pyramids were built across cultures on different continents and different millennia or when ancient peoples would have experiences with psilocybin or or mescaline they all kind of or even you know, religions, you really kind of get to the core of them. And a lot of them are, you know, treat others as you, as you would like to be treated. There are some truths that are uncovered, right? You could wipe out humanity tomorrow. Eventually, Newton's laws would arise again. It would be under someone else's name, some other species that evolved. But they'd uncover the, tr the, the core truths of the universe. So even just to use the United States as an example, you know, one country on one continent in one 250-year period, just look at, like, George Washington or uh, Dwight Eisenhower or before Eisenhower, uh, General Smedley Butler. They all kind of, these, these, aren't, these aren't guys like me screaming in a room in a microphone. These are the guys that have reached the apex of the United States power structure. And they all come to the same conclusion of of isolationism, of of defense. Smedley Butler's quote, he's the most decorated Marine of all time. He gave the original military industrial complex speech. He gave it about gave it about twenty-eight years before Eisenhower did. But his line is the United States should uh defend uh defend three things our coasts, our borders, and our bill of rights. And that's it you eventually do kind of hit these truths at the very end of the line, the final leg of the journey. And it does sort of come down to that is it's just, it's not popular. People don't like it. I'm sure that there are a lot of world war two veterans throwing their beers at the TV when they saw Eisenhower leaving with saying, by the way, there's a military industrial complex that wants to take over the world. Right. And much like you, it's championed on one side and then eventually hated by that side. It means you're doing the right thing. But to kind of pull around to what you said about the soul and about following that truth is another Eisenhower quote. And he met with Kennedy like a couple of days before Kennedy took control. And on a side note, I do think it is kind of comical that he met with Kennedy and uh, showed him the continuity of government plans, told him how like half the United States would be wiped out, even picked up a phone in the Oval Office and said Opal 3, and then a helicopter landed on the front lawn ready to take him with armed guards. And then right before Kennedy's inaugurated, Jay, uh, Eisenhower gets on TV and he goes, by the way, there's basically this like deep state with God-tier power taking over the world. Anyway, peace. 
And he's just stuck there like, huh? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> you know? But um, other than that, other than all of that, Eisenhower also went on like a walk with him that Kennedy later uh, counted as the tongue lashing of a lifetime. And because uh, Eisenhower didn't respect him. He thought it was a young, pretty boy, womanizer, using drugs, all of which were true. But he did tell him that only the difficult uh, problems get to you. If it's easy and a decision can be made and the making of that decision can be used to pad a resume, someone else will do it. I'm, you know, should we not let somebody invade another country? Yeah, that's an easy question. You put it on your resume and now you're a three-star general instead of a two-star general. But the hard questions like, should Eisenhower use the 101st Airborne to allow the first black girl to go to a segregated school? Or should Kennedy use an embargo to block off Cuba, but not listen to Curtis LeMay, who wanted to go nuke him? Only the difficult questions get to you. Only something that can truly give you no win. One side will hate you, or another side will hate you. Those are the things that are pawned off to you. And you do it because you're the leader. Kennedy wasn't vindicated until like 1990, when we learned that the Cubans actually did have nuclear weapons and they were given uh, permission from Khrushchev to use them at their own discretion. Would have been World War III. But it wasn't for 27 years after Kennedy got popped that he was vindicated. So my point is, is you have to encompass it. You know, if you want the macrocosm to mirror the microcosm, you have to encompass that. And so almost imagine you are your own nation. Only the difficult questions get to you. The easy critical thinking, it's wrong to kill someone. It, of course it is. It doesn't, that's not a bold stance. But the difficult questions, should I say it was wrong to retweet this? Should I say, hey, I thought it was this, but it turned out to be that. It's on me. Those aren't the easy questions because the amount of support you will gain for that is equal to the amount of hatred you'll gain from that. So it doesn't, it, there is no net profit except for you did the right thing, which to wrap this all up in a bow brings me back to college when I was waking up at 4 a.m., working out, taking cold showers, meditating, and drinking like once a semester. And I remember one of my roommates was like, I don't get it. You could take a hot shower. You could go eat at the food court. You could come get shit-faced with us on a Friday. All these things are so fun, so enjoyable, so pleasurable, but you choose a painful path. And I remember telling him, I was like, no, no, no. Like, that makes me sound tough. I'm not choosing a painful path. I found that when you're in a hot shower you're in it long enough and the hot water starts to run out you then have to leave because it's getting cold when you stuff your face with just grilled fried southern cooking you never eat until you you have enough you eat until you're stuffed when you go have a couple beers you're already out drinking so you drink until you're shit-faced these are all quick pursuits of pleasure that ultimately turn into pain what may appear as a painful approach, taking a cold shower, meditating, exercising, is actually the least painful path. That's what I found. When you're in a cold shower, you're not worried about the cold water running out. 
You don't care. <laughs> when you're dieting, you have a set amount of calories you're consuming that day. You got your macronutrients and that's it. You're not, you're not thinking, when am I going to get my next meal? You just know I, I got to eat my 2,300 calories today. It's over. I, whatever. It's just done. When you know that you're waking up and you are meditating, you're not going to sit on your phone and scroll through Instagram for that dopamine drip. You're going to sit there and meditate. By removing these things, you are actually pursuing a much more pleasurable path with a lot less pain. So I look at them and I go, you're choosing the hard. I don't get what you're doing. What you're doing is hardcore. I can't do that. I'm choosing the easy path. So what's the point of me saying all this? If it's about accumulating things and wealth and power and women or men or whatever you want or followers or subscribers, which that doesn't include, you should be subscribing to this podcast. My, my argument does not apply to that. Subscribe to this podcast right now. But if you're pursuing all of these things, you're pursuing some form of pleasure or some sort of gratification. What is that for? That is for a relaxed mind, a tranquil mind, an excited, a happy mind, whatever. It's all about a happy mind state. There is a much easier path to that. And it's just doing the right thing. You will sleep better. You will hold yourself higher. You will... People's insults will, as Terrence McKenna said, roll off you like water beating up a duck's back, beating up off of a duck's back. You won't care because you know you are doing the right thing with the knowledge and the information you have at this time. That is better than the penthouse or the hundred million dollars or the Bugatti or all things I would like. But if the true goal is to be in the warm shower in your mind, just do the right thing. You'll sleep like you're on Xanax. You'll work out like you're on meth. You'll be every day is Christmas and that you're joyful. You're appreciative of everything. You don't care. You've reached the end. It's a shortcut. So no, don't take a long, hot shower. Work out, meditate, take cold showers. You'll experience less pain than that. So just do the right thing. And it's a shortcut. You don't need to worry about clicks and views and money because you're already at peace. So I don't know. That's my pitch for doing the right thing. I'm kind of running in circles and uh, yeah, I don't know. Or, or another way to say it is be true <laughs> to yourself, right? There you go. Much quicker, much more succinct and much more intelligent as you often do on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, we play good cop, bad cop. I scream, use vulgar language and expletives. And Dr. Mullen says things in a very concise, succinct, soft voice. It's a good cop, bad cop. Either way, we're getting the truth to you. Um, I know you got to run, so we'll wrap this one up. We didn't get into it, so we should do one on your book, Lies My Government Told Me, which is fantastic. And I will use one line from it that I think is very important. And it's um, when you read an article in the news on something that you're an expert in and you see that it's blatantly false, but then you turn the page and you just accept the rest of the article, the rest of the news articles as accurate. Never once thinking, how do I not know these are all fake? You should carry that into your everyday life. If they lie about COVID, they lie about the war in Iraq. Why are they telling the truth about everything else? So I don't know. Yeah, Maybe that's that's your you're referring to Michael Crichton's insight. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh and and I I think that thank you for, for citing that. Of course. Um, the book is intended to be it it has been a journey. Um and and I hope that it can serve 
uh, to help other people on their journeys. That's the purpose. The purpose was not to make money. Um, the purpose was to help people be able to make sense out of the nonsensical stuff that we've all experienced um, and, and give them uh, some guideposts to help them uh, on their journeys. Uh, I highly, highly recommend the book. And again, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, you'll have a much more, if you can still find a way to call Dr. Malone a deep state disinformation agent, then you are either a very manipulative psychopath and I approve of your work ethic, or you are truly pulling off some Olympic grade mental gymnastics, which is also, I'm, I'm impressed by the work ethic, but the book is, <laughs> the book is very much, there's nothing to be gained from it. It's Eisenhower. There's, there's nothing to be gained from it. You're just pointing out kind of these themes in society and to follow the truth and integrity. Hey man, if it turns out that you're a deep state agent, then Hey, hats off to the CIA because they've won the game. They've <laughs> that's, that's uh, yeah. So <laughs> they've won. That's, that's the, 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 um, the joke version of that is, if I'm if I'm a deep state CIA operative, I'm probably the worst spy in the history of the United States. Or the best. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. I uh, so thanks for the time, of course, and for sharing as always your insights and particularly your deep understanding of military history. It's uh, a weird one. I don't know why I have it. Yeah, I think I I took away from your little journey on the uh, walk between Ike and JFK. Uh, I wonder if uh, that interaction was what set JFK on the road to his profound distrust of uh, the intelligence community and the CIA. I I, I think it was. I think that, you know J that conversation um, set uh, things in motion that eventually led to his assassination. Um, uh, it's fascinating talking to Bobby Kennedy about these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, he off, he's full of uh, stories um, from his youth. Uh, he remembers vividly uh, Robert McNamara calling um, his father uh, on a weekly basis. Um, uh, and uh, he was sharing some of those in our interview um, on the book um, just last week, uh, so it's as if um, that window of time in the early 60s was a nexus. Um, and a lot of things happened then. And um, uh, I, I feel in some ways that uh, we didn't pass the test. Uh, and um, I hope that we can... Um, do better this time as we recover from the COVID crisis. I think that walk they went on, I think it's because you got to remember John F. Kennedy was, he was a, you can listen to the, it's wild. You can go on YouTube and listen to phone calls between them, uh, especially during the Cuban missile crisis. It's the most surreal thing in the world. And even then he would still only refer to him as general. You gotta remember he was a veteran too. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that walk 
really did because because JFK gutted a lot of Eisenhower's continuity of government programs as soon as he got in office. He thought they were absurd. He thought they were paranoid. Uh, the czar system where Eisenhower was going to set up a, a post nuclear war economy. Um, I think that much like by emulating your enemies actions, you sink to their level. The beauty is, is in this universe, it's duality and the opposite's also true in a weird way. It's almost like Eisenhower's just tongue lashing of a lifetime can almost imagine is like the spark transferring from the five-star general of the supreme commander of the allied forces for lack of a better term gave john f kennedy some balls and he went out there against the cia against curtis lemay against the mob against the soviets against everything i mean the speeches he was giving about secrecy being repugnant yeah. I mean, that dude walked into the fire with no protection. And you got to wonder where did that come? Is it a deeply, was it the deeply religious faith with patriotism? Probably a blend of it. I think the walk with JFK is, or with Eisenhower, in my own mind, is probably one of the more uh, important moments in the history of our country because it did transfer some of Ike to JFK. And it was just like, do the right thing, because I think nothing of you. And years later, Eisenhower would talk about JFK posthumously and talk about his courage and his bravery. And it's like, that didn't come from anywhere. Eisenhower looked down on him as a pretty boy, and he's later standing there going like, that guy had like balls of steel. Rose rose to the occasion. Yeah. yeah. Rose to the office. It made him a bigger man. So Well that's a that's a good place to part. Sure. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of us, I think. Well, yeah. Rise um, to your own occasion. Rise to your own office. Yeah. Um rise try to fulfill your own potential. Talk um, to the Eisenhower in your own mind. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> Ike's taking you on a walk around your apartment. Next time you go to the store and buy some Oreos, imagine Ike's following you. And he's like, you you reposted that meme and you knew it wasn't true. You'd be like, all right, I'm sorry. And he'd be like, you, you're afraid to speak the truth because of the government. And it's JFK looking at you like, secrecy is repugnant. It's just, you're like, all right, I'll do the right thing. Just, <laughs> you know, that's my advice to you. Uh, Talk new, to new meme, new meme. Yeah, what would yeah. Ike do? But what would Ike do? But yeah, that's, that's where I'll leave this episode. My advice to you is imagine dead presidents are talking to you in a grocery store. That's my advice to you, the listener. Um, but with that, Dr. Mullins, wrap this one up. I'll put your book in the description. I would like to do an episode with you specifically about the book because it's a fantastic book. Um, put your sub stack in the description. Go read the uh, go read the article, Sins of the Information, Sins of Information Warfare. And um, yeah, I don't know. Do the right thing. All that good stuff. So yep. Dr. Malone. Thank you. Thank Until you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. As always, I love you. I love Dr. Glasspool. You guys are truly wonderful human beings, and it's an honor to know you guys. So Thank much you. love. Thank okay. you so much. Be